1840s when a young Kentucky-born man in his 30s wrote a note to his friend. His friend's name was Joshua Speed, and Speed was a slaveholder. This is what he wrote to Speed. He said, I acknowledge your rights and my obligations under the Constitution in regards to your slaves. I confess I hate to see the poor creatures hunted down and caught and carried back to their stripes and unrewarded toils. I bite my lip and keep quiet. In 1841, you and I had together a tedious low-water trip on a steamboat from Louisville to St. Louis. You may remember, as I well do, that from Louisville to the mouth of the Ohio, there were on board ten or a dozen slaves shackled with irons. That sight was a continual torment to me. I see something like it every time I touch the Ohio or any other slave border. It is hardly fair for you to assume that I have no interest in a thing which happens and continually exercises the power of making me miserable. It was about two decades later when this young man grew up and became the 16th president of the United States. Abraham Lincoln came into office at a critical juncture in the history of the United States. And it was in September 22nd of 1862 when he wrote something that we now know as the Emancipation Proclamation. It was a bold move because it was in direct contrast to the Supreme Court ruling of 1857, Dred Scott versus Sanford. And this is what Lincoln wrote. He said, On the first day of January in the year of our Lord, 1863, all persons held as slaves within any state or designated part of a state, the people whereof shall be in rebellion against the United States, shall be then, thenceforward and forever free. And by virtue of the power and for the purpose aforesaid, I do order and declare that all persons held as slaves within such designated states and parts of states um, are and henceforward shall be free, and that the executive government of the United States, including the military and naval authorities thereof, shall recognize and maintain the freedom of said persons. He delivered that, and it was not long until the nation sprung into civil war. In the year of 1863, the Civil War unfolded, brought a tremendous amount of casualties on both sides of the conflict, and it was in November 19, 1863, when Lincoln, just maybe 100 miles from here in Gettysburg, gave perhaps the most memorable and shortest speech a president has ever given, which many of you have memorized as grade school students, four score and seven years ago. Our fathers, he writes, brought forth upon this continent a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Now we are engaged in a great civil war, testing whether that nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. He finishes the address with this. He says, it is for us to be here dedicated to the great task remaining before us that from those honored dead we take increased devotion to that cause for which they gave the last full measure of devotion. That we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain, 
that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom. And that government of the people, by the people, for the people, shall not perish from the earth. And it is with these words and in this moment of our history that Abraham Lincoln helped to put into words all of what at least the North was feeling. All of which most of humanity would feel. And in fact, Abraham Lincoln has put into words that ethos that captures now the heart of Americans. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That all men are created equal. That the idea of slavery, where one person serves as property of another, is so foreign and so um, detested by the national conscience that we won't have it anymore. In fact, we will go to war against it, right? In fact, it is, it is woven into, and it is not just woven, it is pounded into the deepest parts of our heart and our mind as something that is just innately and intuitively wrong that any one person should be owned by another, that slavery at all should exist. And, and I saw this as a child growing up in the Caribbean on an island in Barbados that was populated primarily by the slave trade. Growing up with boys and girls who were descendants of slaves brought over by the British to harvest sugarcane and take care of the plantations. And what we had is we had uh, some women who would sometimes in our homes and in other missionary homes would come in and work as we would call them maids. Now, here you might call them, in the politically correct world of North America, you might call them um, housekeeping assistants uh, rather than maids. But here's what happened is that sometimes we would have people from the United States come and visit and see what's happening, and there would be something just that smelled like slavery that was off-putting to Americans who struggled with even this concept that you would pay someone to come into your home. This smells like slavery. No, it's, it's, no, 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 no. It's nothing like it. It's actually an honorable position. It's an honorable way to, to honor those in the country with giving them work. This is a great thing to do. But there's something driven deep within our psyche that slavery itself is just categorically wrong. And here's what I want to tell you at Christmas time. Here's what I want to tell you. And here's what I believe we see as we look, we're going to look into our text. That there is no better way, there's no better way to live than as a slave. There's, there's no better way to live than as a slave. And you, you're going to want to fight against me on this one. You're going to want to push on that one a little bit and say, wait a minute, you need to clarify what you mean. There's no better way to live than as a slave. In fact, I'm going to say it, I'm going to put it this way on the screen here for you, that there's no more freeing way to live than as a slave. There's no more freeing way to live than as a slave. And if we're honest and allow this truth from the Gospel of Luke to saturate into our hearts, we are going to find resistance because at, at the core of how we've been raised, this is not for us. So let's go there. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn there. Luke chapter 1, we're going to be in verse 38. We're going to 
read from verses 34 into verse 38. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one in the pew near you, and that's on page 830 or 991. 830 or 991. We're learning today from a 13-year-old girl, by the way, uh, in case you think you're not man enough for this, just, just so you know, I'm just saying that we have as our model a girl who might have been maybe, maybe, maybe 13 uh, years old, and she's um, offering to us, we're seeing a glimpse of life, uh, of her life that is very, very profound. We are in this series, which you know, know by now, called uh, Unwrapping Christmas. This is the last part of it. Um, as we have been walking through the Gospel of Luke, we've seen that... Um, we had a, a great moment of silence, if you will, 400 years of silence where God did not speak in a, in a revealed way for 400 years. And then the angel Gabriel came and made an announcement to Zechariah that John will be born. And then went to Mary and made an announcement that this little boy named Jesus would be born. And we said in the first week that, that even though God is invisible to us, he, we're not invisible to him. That he sees everything that we do, even if it's 400 years since we've heard from him, he, he sees it all. And then we got into this idea that, that Jesus will be great, that this baby who is born, whom we just took communion in remembrance of, is not a tame, docile, safe Jesus who doesn't demand anything of our life, but that he is a great king whose kingdom will reign forever, forever. And last week then we looked at Mary's interaction with, with Gabriel and realized that, that nothing in the world will keep God from keeping his promises. Even the problem when Mary said, but how will this be that I'm going to conceive? I'm a virgin. And Gabriel says to her, nothing is impossible with God. And now today we finally get to the end of this section where Mary has a final response to the angel Gabriel. And here, let's pick it up in verse 34. Here's Mary's question. How will this be since I'm a virgin, Mary asked the angel. Verse 35. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. And then this line comes next. In fact, this is the one verse that we're going to look at this morning, and this is it. This is an incredibly powerful verse in, what Mary, in how Mary sees herself in her self-identity as she's standing there, right? She says, I am the Lord's, what? Servant. I, I am the Lord's servant. Another viable word for this is bond servant. Another viable word is Slave. So I want to, let's read this together, replacing servant with slave, just so we can hear it. I am the Lord's slave. This is the spirit that Mary answers. And then she says, may it be to me as you have said. May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. Now, Mary is saying, I'm a bond servant. In other words, I, here's what Mary believed. In fact, this, this is an idiom or an expression that was used in this time, a common expression used to, to speak to someone who's higher in rank than you are. Um, Mary says, I'm your bond servant. I am your servant. And here's the implications of that. Number one, you own me. I don't own me anymore. 
So not only am I okay with you doing what you want to do, but if you want to do what you want to do and you want me to help you do what you want to do, I am your bond servant. So I can be used by you to do what you want because you own me. I'm your bond servant. I'm your property. I'm your slave. May it be to me as you have said. And what what do we think of right away with Mary? We think of, in our world, if God were to come to us in this context, to a a preteen or maybe just an adolescent girl, a girl coming through adolescence, and she were to be pregnant, You can imagine the shame that she might feel, that her family might feel. Multiply that by a thousand, and you would get the sense of what it would be like in this time and era for a young girl like this to be pregnant, outside of marriage. What does Mary have to lose? Answer, everything. What does she have to gain? Answer, nothing. Everything to lose, nothing to gain, and she says, it's not my call. I'm the slave of God. May it be to me, As you have said, I'm not even my own. Talk about the scarlet letter, the shame in her family, the disregard in her community, the loss perhaps of her engaged husband, Joseph, husband-to-be. She has everything to lose. And yet Mary comes back and says, may it be to me as you have said. Really remarkable. And our reaction to this is this is just not right. This is not right. I mean, doesn't Mary have rights? Doesn't she have um, the opportunity to look forward to a future that's better than the present? I mean, doesn't Mary have, shouldn't she have the privilege of a girl growing up to be kind of normal, maybe give her some hope for the future? Doesn't she have that right? I mean, really? We have rights. Let freedom ring. Can't she just be, like in her service, can't she just be more like a maid than a slave? I mean, can't she be, be free and then go and serve God for a little bit and get paid for that and then come back and kind of be her own person again? Can't she be a maid instead of a slave? No. See, this is what, this is what we want. I, I, I want, okay, God, I want to come over and I want to serve you for a little while um, because I think it's the right thing to do and I want to follow you. But I also want my freedom. my freedom. I want my freedom. I, I'm willing to serve as long as I serve like a maid serves, but I don't want to serve like a slave serves, because if I serve like a slave serves, then I don't really have a choice of when I go home, and I don't have a choice of when to say no, and I don't have a choice to do anything. I don't have a choice at all, because I'm not my own. The irony is we want to fight against, in our North American culture, and we want to fight against the idea of being owned by anybody, of slavery at all. And in the process of that, here's what we learn. We're always going to serve somebody or something, right? We're always going to serve somebody or something. Remember back in high school, maybe college if you went to college, remember that feeling at the end of the semester? Like, hmm, I cannot wait to get done with my tests and exams and papers. Because I'm tired, I am tired of trying to finish, I'm tired of serving the institution, man. I can't wait for a break. You ever feel that way? Remember that? And you get to the end and you realize, I'm finally done with school, I'm done with this, I'm done. I, I, 
master-slave relationship. I have to serve that. I have to do that. I cannot wait where I can have freedom to be myself. And then you get into the real world and you realize, man, I wish, I wish I could go back to when I decided to write papers and read because that was easy. Now I have the real world. Now I'm a slave to my mortgage company. And now I'm a slave to the bottom line. Now I'm a slave to my future. Okay, so I have that. Oh, any of you ever work in a company and you realize, man, this company is not working quite right. I'm not fitting into the ethos of this company. If only, if only, if only, I could start my own business. That would be awesome. I wouldn't have to serve anybody else. You know, I could be my own boss. And, and companies, you kind of be, you're a self-made man or woman. And you, I can be independent. Because that works well, doesn't it? Because then you don't have anybody to serve, do you? Right? You have no obligations. You have all the freedom in the world, right? Business owners? No, it doesn't work that way. You are always serving something or someone. It doesn't matter where you go or what you do. You ever have relationship problems and think, man, if only I could get out of this marriage or this relationship, and I could, they're so demanding, they're so demanding, if only I could serve somebody, I mean, I'm tired of serving them, so I'm going to kind of be myself. And then you get into another relationship, another marriage, and you're like, this feels like the last one. Why is that? Because you're always going to be serving something or someone. That's just reality. And now what if, what if, what if, what if you could be your own, your own boss, right? If you could just be the master of your domain, isn't this what we wish vacations were for? Or retirement, we think retirement will be that way? Man, I cannot wait to have the money and then I can do whatever I want to do. I'm going to be the master of my domain. Awesome. You ever make self-destructive choices? See, even when we are our own masters, we do dumb things. You ever feel like Paul when he writes in Romans, he says, I do the things that I don't want to do. You ever fallen into temptation? You're like, why am I doing that? I don't even want to do that, but I just did it. Why did I even think that about that person? I don't even want that. Why did I say that? Why did I look at that? Why did I eat that third piece of cake? I don't even want that, but I did it because it seemed good, but I'm making self-destructive choices. And so what does freedom from other people lead you to but slavery to yourself? You are always serving someone or something. And yet there is something within our culture and within our ethos that says we are independent, fiercely independent. And yes, we'll serve, we're good-natured people, right? We will serve and give money to, volunteer a little bit for, but we're going to come back to our own world. We are willing to be maids, but not slaves. And here Mary, with nothing to gain and everything to lose, says, I am your bond servant. May it be to me, as you have said. And her words ring true for other parts of the scripture as well. Here is what we see in 1 Corinthians. Paul is writing this about our bodies. He says this, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. You were bought at a price. He goes on to write, therefore glorify God with your body. Ownership, 
We, if you say, I'm a follower of this little baby Jesus who was born on Christmas and and walked through life and died on the cross, and I believe that he is my Lord and Savior, he is my master, good. You have just entered the world of slavery to him. You're not your own. You've been bought. You've been bought. You've been redeemed at the price of blood. Therefore, glorify God with your body. We read it over here in Luke 9. Jesus speaking to a crowd, and he says to them, said to them all, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. If you want to say, and I'm a follower of Jesus, and this is in the context of a lot of people saying, man, Jesus is kind of interesting. He's kind of good. He has some interesting teachings. And all these people wondering, who is this man? And then Jesus says to them, listen, it's not just about being near me. If you want, if you want to be my disciple, you're going to follow me. And a part of that, the first step, deny yourself. Understand, you are not your own anymore. Now the question comes, what are my options? Okay, let's say, let's say if this sounds a little radical, a little strong. What are my choices? Where else can I go? And this is the issue that Jesus faced with many people. As he was beginning to preach and teach and speak, in particular about his body and, and death, he was in a, an environment one time where he was speaking to people and they were um, saying, man, this is a hard teaching that he's going to die and, and come back to life again and some people are going to eat his flesh and drink his blood. And what is that about? This is cannibalistic. So some people started to leave. And then Jesus asked the disciples who were, who were right there, he says, particularly to Peter, he says, Peter, are, are you going to go too? Other people are leaving. This is a hard teaching. Are you going to go? And John, we have this recording of Peter's response in John 6. Peter says this, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. What are my options? Okay, if I don't want to be a slave that strongly, then what are my options? Who else are we going to follow? Who else do you want to be a slave to? And here's what we, here's what we have to realize. That there's no greater freedom in serving a master who knows no evil. Our push and our rub against slavery is that every master we've ever conceived of has a sin nature. Every master we've ever thought about is one who's going to be after his own good, even if he's kind and gentle. At the end of the day, it's still another human who owns us. And we rightly, rightly chafe against that. And I do too. And we should. But what we also chafe against is taking this concept of being owned by anyone and apply it to our relationship with God. Where God is now saying, hey, you're mine. You've been bought with a price. You've been bought with a price. But what if we had a master who knew nothing of evil? What if we had a master who was holy for us and holy for his glory? What would that be like? Mary, actually, gives us the answer. Keep going in Luke. Luke chapter 1, verse 46. Let's look and see what Mary says, because we now see a window into the heart of Mary and her response to the situation of becoming pregnant out of wedlock 
and acknowledging that she is a servant of God brings us great insight into how, what we should see. Verse 46, And Mary said, My soul begrudges the Lord, and my spirit is bitter with God my Savior. For he has been inconsiderate of the humble state of his servant. From now on all generations will call me dishonored, for the Mighty One has forced me to do his will. Burdened on me is his name. Right? Is that what your text says? But isn't this what we would feel? Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord. Wait, wait, wait. But you're a bondservant, Mary. You, you have just sold yourself to the Most High, and he has asked you to carry this baby. You could lose your marriage. You could lose your family. You could lose all standing in society. You have nothing. She's like, yep, my soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he's been mindful of the humble state of his, here's our word again, servant. Servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. This is an amazing picture of a girl, a 13-year-old girl, a preteen girl even, who understands that it is an incredible joy and freedom to serve a master who knows no evil. And not just to go and come back, but to be bought and owned fully by this master. This is Mary's song. This is her story. What can we say? A couple of questions for us. Number one. First question. Who in the world is worth following? Who in the world for you is worth following? Who or what? Peter's response, to whom else shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. We're always going to serve somebody or something. And you you know that. We're always going to serve somebody or something. So the question is, who is better to serve and be owned than God? Who is better to to serve than a, a righteous, holy God who knows no evil? Who in the world am I going to follow? Now, second question is this. Or statement. Because we're all slaves to something, then the smartest way for us to live is to follow a trustworthy master. We're all going to be slaves of someone or something. What do you need to do? Third question is this. What do you need to do? Some of us were sitting here this morning and we've realized... You know, I'm just not moving in recovering from this habitual sin that I'm falling into. I just can't get over it. Some of us are sitting here this morning saying, you know what? Um, My marriage is not what it can be, and I know it. We're going to sit around at Christmas time, and I'm not going to say what's on my mind. She's not going to say what's on her mind. But it's too much to reach this far. It's too much to try to reconcile and, and push against the silence between us. Some of you are sitting here and you're thinking, okay, I know that in my business right now I haven't really dotted all the I's and crossed all the T's, and if I were to do that, it would cost us a lot of money. I'm just going to kind of keep pushing that and hiding that and moving that so it doesn't, no one finds out. I know that's there. For some of you, 
And you know this, it's time for you to grow up. You've been sitting around, you've been waiting for someone to lead you in your life and it hasn't happened yet. You've been kind of hoping that, "Mm, yes, someday I'm going to get a little more serious about this thing. Someday I'm going to stop playing video games all day. I'm going to stop just talking about my future like it's something that will never happen. I'm going to stop someday blaming other people for the problems that I have. Someday, yeah, maybe, wouldn't it be nice if I knew more of the Bible than I do now? And that will happen, I'm sure, someday. Someday I'm going to be less involved in my hobbies and more engaged in my family. I know that's probably good and that's a legacy I want, but some of us need to grow up, right? And See, the, the issue is if I am not owned by my God, I have no reason to do that. If God doesn't own me, I'm my master. And I'm telling you, and you know this too, I'm a, I'm a terrible, terrible master of my domain. And you are too. Terrible. I can't see beyond my own nose sometimes. What do you need to do? Here's this 13-year-old girl, Mary. She says, all right, I'll, uh, I'll be pregnant out of wedlock. I'm going to grow up a little bit in this. May it be to me as you have said. Some of you, you're coming to Christmas time and you're thinking, yeah, this is great. I can't wait to spend time with family. I can't wait to open this gift. I can't wait to do this. And here stands a, a girl, a young girl, right in the crosshairs of our lives. And she says, I'm not my own. I'm a slave. I'm a slave to my master. And here's where this strikes us. Do we really want it or not? Do I really believe at the end of the day, I'm not my own? I don't have a choice in the matter. As long as we still continue to believe that I can come in like those in some homes in the Caribbean did, come in and work as a maid and go home. I can come to church and go home. I can walk into a relationship with God and go home. I can kind of step in and then step out. I can kind of be, be halfway committed to my girlfriend in public, but in private, it's something else. I can be kind of committed to my business when we're talking here, but in the privacy of my own office, I'm not. And in my marriage, I can kind of step in and look okay when I'm here, but in the privacy, we all, I mean, everyone knows it's not happening. And in my future plans, I mean, what I really think about is making X number of dollars so that I can go to this far and do this thing. This is what I really hope can happen. But I'm not going to talk like that because that sure sounds wrong. Are we owned by God or not? And Mary, may it be to me whatever you want. And so here's what I want for you to do. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. This little phrase is powerful enough to create an identity for you. And this will never take place. This will never take root unless we come to grips with this reality that immediately at that moment of choice, Mary said, hey, this is easy. This is not hard. She she didn't even reflect on all that would be lost. In fact, her song was a song of praise and glory. She didn't even reflect on all the things that could go wrong. Here's what I'd love us to say this week, all right? Here's the challenge for for us. When you wake up this week and you go into the bathroom and brush your teeth, might be a first time for you this week, you go in, you brush your teeth. Before you brush your teeth, here's what I want you to say, if you believe that. Look in that mirror and look in your own eyes in that mirror and say, Lord, which is another word for master, I am your master servant. Hear yourself say, 
those words. Lord, I am your servant. Yeah, 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 but but wait, no, what about, can I be his servant next week? Because this week, there's some things happening that I'm not sure he'd be cool with, but next week. Can I, but how about after, can I do, late, maybe, Lord, I am your servant. And it's amazing how many things that takes care of. It is amazing how many of us sit around, we want to know God's will. Man, where should I go to school? Who should I marry? What should I do for a job? What should I do for whatever? And it is amazing when our hearts land on this, all of the things that settle in around us, all of the things that calm down, when we are in that position where we know the best way to live in freedom is to be a slave, to God. Now I'm going to push this a little further. Men in particular, husbands, fathers in particular. This week as your family gathers around the Christmas story and maybe you read Luke 1 or maybe you read a different part of the scripture about the, um, the, the, the Christmas story. Engage your family and as a family lead them into to say together, Lord we are your servants. Imagine what that would do for your kids to see dad leading them into, hey, my dad, I don't know, he was kind of weird this Christmas. He said something weird. I kind of know what that was about. But as they grow and they begin to see this is what our family identity is, we are not our own. We were bought with a price. We are the Lord's servant. This is Christmas week, isn't it? This little girl, Mary, stands in front of us and she says, I don't care, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Everything to lose and nothing to gain. We are the Lord's servant. Some of you this morning, you may have come and you just don't even know anything of what I'm talking about. You're trying to figure out who Jesus is. You don't even know if he's real or not. You're still kind of on that journey. Here's what I want to do before we go. Um, I want to identify for you some key people here within this congregation that you can talk to, and they don't know I'm going to do this, but I don't care. Um, our current and former elders and wives who are here, um, that would include pastors as elders as well. Um, it, what I'd like you to do in a moment is just stand to give people an idea of who are some people around them that they can talk to about this whole idea of who Jesus is and what Christmas is really all about. So if you can do that for me right now, you're an elder or a wife or been an elder and a wife, can you stand up for me here and so we can see where people are at? Good, I think you can tell which is the elder, which is the wife. Um, that's good. So there we go. We have a lot of current and former elders and their wives right here so you can kind of get a sense of where people are. Thank you guys very much. These people have all the answers um, to all of the problems in the universe. Global warming, it's got nothing on them. These are some folks who are safe to talk to, uh, who can direct you in some other uh, directions as well and can help you kind of know where to go. And I know you probably came with a friend and you may or may not engage with them, but I just want you to know who they are and there they are. Okay? <laughs> Guys, at the end of the day, we're going to, or at the end of this message here, we're going to sing a song that you all know. Joy to the world, the what? Joy to the world, the Lord is come. When you say that word... You have just said, the master has come. 
And in so doing, you've said, I am a slave. I'm a servant of the Most High God. May it be to me as you have said. Let's pray together. Our good God and Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you for the opportunity at Christmas time to celebrate your birth, your son's birth. We thank you for the chance we have to reflect on this reality that the, the freest way for us to live is in service, in servanthood, in servitude to you. Father, we are going to fight against that till the day we die. We're going to push hard against that. We are not going to want to do the things that you want us to do because honestly, they're not the things that, well, we would want to do. And so we're just going to rebel against that for a long time. That's going to be consistent for us. But I pray that at the end of the day, you would bring people around us who would be encouraging support system for us. So when we are tempted to fall off the rails and be our own master, that you can help us gently and firmly and truthfully come back to this reality. There is no better way to live than in service and as a slave to you that we've been bought at a price. And this is the joy to the world that we sing about. This is why we can even say that this season is a time of great joy because the Master has come. The Lord has come. So as we sing now, Father, may the exuberance of our hearts and anticipation of your great love and your final kingdom come. May that just overflow in our singing now. Father, we thank you, we thank you, we thank you that you are good and our sovereign king and that you are our master. In Jesus' name we pray.